Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. 2 Kings chapter 8 this evening. We're going to be looking together this evening at the influence of the godly as we continue our considerations in the life of Elisha. If you're just joining us this evening, we've been looking at the life of Elisha as found this evening in 2 Kings chapter 8. We're going to begin with the verse, six verses. The Word of God says, Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, and go thou in thine household, and sojourn, wheresoever thou canst sojourn, for the Lord hath called for a famine. And it shall also come upon the land seven years. And the woman arose, and did after the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household, and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the seven years' end, that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines. She went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. The king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha hath done. It came to pass, as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that, behold, the woman, whose son he had restored to life, cried to the king for her house and for her land. Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed unto her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers, and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. When William Carey, pioneer missionary to India, was asked about his many accomplishments, William Carey deferred bragging in any way. In fact, he specifically said, I'm not a genius. I'm just a plotter. But what a plotter. William Carey went to India in 1797, sailing from his native land of England, settled in India, served there for 40 years. During that 40 years, he was able to translate the Bible into 34 Indian languages. He was able to start a Bible college that would send out many missionary servants even around the world. He saw two of his sons called into ministry and many churches established. You see, the Word of God teaches this wonderful principle that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God uses plotters, those who are willing to plod and simply be faithful in service for the Lord. Elisha was a plotter. Now Elijah came on the scene with fire falling from heaven, with the prophets of Baal being destroyed, with the promise that it would not rain and it did not rain in Israel for the space of three and a half years. But Elisha is introduced in a very different manner. Elisha is following after a plow on a farm when Elijah comes to him and throws his mantle on Elisha and Elisha is called into ministry. For 10 years, Elisha is going to be the assistant prophet to Elijah. Specific ministry, pour water on your master's hands. But for 40 years, Elisha is going to plod. 10 years as an assistant, 40 more years watching over three schools of the prophets. At the end of 50 years, he will have stood before kings and magistrates 
he will have seen God's hand at work through him in very special ways. As we open our Bibles this evening to 2 Kings chapter 8, we discover a story of the providence of God on display through the influence of one of his godly servants. It's interesting, in 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 1 to 6, Elisha is not present at all. The main characters of the passage that we read this evening are Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the king of Israel, and the woman, the woman who has been known well as the Shunammite woman, whose son Elisha brought back by the power of God, miraculously, from the dead. Elisha is not present in the story, oh, but his influence is present. And I think that's the point. And it surely is a point of encouragement that the influence of God's people makes a difference. We should never underestimate the powerful influence of the godly. I want you to notice with me this evening the advice of the godly brings protection. So we open to 2 Kings chapter 8. We're reintroduced, really, to the woman of Shunem. She was first introduced to us back in 2 Kings chapter 4. She's a very memorable character in God's Word. Earlier in 2 Kings chapter 4, she recognized the power of God on and through the ministry of Elisha, recommending to her husband that they add a room, a simple room, onto their home where Elisha could come on his itinerant work. Her husband, according to 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 14, was an elderly man. And yet, 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 17 tells us that God did a miracle. Not that she'd asked for it. She'd simply opened her home in hospitality. And you remember how Gehazi suggests to Elisha that something ought to be done for her because of her kindness. And when Elisha asks her, can I do something for you? She responds, no, I'm content to dwell among my people. And it's Gehazi who says, Elisha, haven't you noticed they have no children? So Elisha seeks the face of the Lord and promises this woman, the next year about this time, you'll be a mother. She says, oh my Lord, don't tease me. Don't mock in such a manner. And Surely she became a mother by the miraculous hand of God. We're being reintroduced to this dear lady in 2 Kings chapter 8, but now she appears to be widowed. You say, how do you know that? Well, in verse 1, then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, go thou in thine household and sojourn, wheresoever thou canst sojourn. The Lord hath called for a famine in the land. Had her husband been alive, I believe that Elisha would have been giving this godly counsel to her husband. Her husband is nowhere named in 2 Kings chapter 8. It seems now this widowed lady is listening to the advice that the godly man Elisha is sharing, which reminds us of a truth that we need to be reminded of every day and on Monday morning in particular as we go off to work, that the advice of the godly must be shared. Elisha gave the Shunammite woman counsel. Now, it was counsel that would have been difficult for her to receive, but it was necessary counsel. Specifically, he's providing a warning. He's warning her of the famine that's going to come and a famine that's going to come for seven years. If you're like me, you find that often it's difficult to give counsel when it's negative counsel. Counsel that warns or counsel that comes alongside someone 
and lets them know that they're on a pathway that can be very hurtful. Do you realize in the generation in which we're serving the Lord that the church, the local church serves as a body of counselors. Listen. The local church serves as a body of counselors for the health and the well-being of God's people. We have sadly professionalized Christian counseling in the generation in which we're living. That's not to say that God can't wonderfully use those who dedicate their time and abilities to that task. But those who dedicate their time and abilities to that task should in no wise cause the church family to ever think they've been dispossessed of a position of ministry that's very important. The position of ministry that's very important is spoken of in Romans chapter 15 and verse 14 when the Apostle Paul writes to the Roman church and he speaks to the whole church, not just to the professionalized within the church. When he says in Romans chapter 15 and verse 14, and I myself were persuaded of you, my brethren, that you're full of goodness, that you're filled with knowledge, that you are able to admonish one another. He's setting the congregation free, if you will. He's challenging the congregation that you have a responsibility, much like Elijah had a responsibility, to share a message. When you see the need for warning, warn. Now do it in a gentle and humble fashion. Galatians chapter 6 says in verse 1, My brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering also yourself, lest you likewise be tempted. As he speaks to this dear woman of Shunem, he is warning and giving a way. He's providing a way for her to escape the pending judgment that's about to come upon the people of Israel. He's providing her a pathway, if you will, of safety within the will of God so that she might and her household might be protected from the wrath of God that's about to fall in the form of a famine for seven years. The book of Proverbs reminds us in Proverbs 14 and verse 12, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the way, end of that way is the way of death. The advice of the godly needs to be shared. In the generation of which we're serving, one of my greater fears as a pastor is that people would take upon themselves the assumption that I have no responsibility to warn fellow believers or to challenge fellow believers. And after all, I don't much like going negative, if you know what I mean. But folks, as you study your Bible, you will never find a professionalized ministry of counselor. But you will study your Bible and find that the one another's call all of us to exhort one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. And so Elisha is warning and providing a way and as we note the advice of this godly one being shared, we also note simultaneously that this advice needs to be followed. The woman of Shunem is willing to listen, even realizing that the advice that she's receiving is going to require sacrifice on her part. Of all the Old Testament women that we, we meet along the way, surely the woman of Shunem was a woman who loved her home. 2 Kings chapter 4, she's called in verse 8 a great woman. She had a reputation, if you will, within her community. In 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 13, when Elisha offers to do something kind on her behalf, even to speak on her behalf to the king, she defers, she demurs, and she says in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 13, I dwell 
among my people. Literally, she's saying, Elisha, thank you for the kindness. I'm sure it would mean a lot to some for you to name drop me before the king, but I don't need that. I'm very content in my home. This woman who was contented in her home is now hearing the godly advice that she needs to leave her home behind because there's going to be a famine in the land. There are times when our Christian friends and the counselors that God brings by our path share with us lessons that are hard for us to endure, hard for us to hear. Sometimes we plug our ears to such advice and such counsel, deciding we'll surely go our way even if we have no scriptural support for doing what we think we ought to do. Be ever so careful. In the passage to which we've turned this evening, we see the influence of the godly is demonstrated in the advice that is offered, advice that brings protection along the way to the community. This woman of Shunem needed to sacrifice even the comforts of her home. And as she sacrifices the comforts of her home, she's doing something that God often compels his people to do. She's separating from that that she loves. You see, the advice that's offered is going to require separation. This dear woman has lived her life in the beautiful Jezreel Valley, one of the most beautiful places in all of Israel, much like the beautiful fields that we saw in Saskatchewan this evening. The Jezreel Valley is the breadbasket of Israel. She's lived slightly up on a hill where she can oversee the beauty of that valley. And now she's being told in verse 1 that she needs to leave. Sojourn wheresoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord hath called for a famine. It will come upon the land for seven years. She's going to leave that place. She arises and did after the saying of the man of God. She went with her household down to the area of the Philistines. She's gone from the agricultural breadbasket out to the seashore. The land of the Philistines is modern-day Lebanon. She's living on the seashore among those who for many years have been the enemies of God's people. She's in the land of the Philistines. She's left all that she knows, all the conveniences, and all her neighbors. Why? Because she's trusting in the counsel of God that's come to her through the prophet of God. And even today, the counsel of God often requires us to sojourn in places that before were unknown, to follow in God's will and sacrifice and separate. The Word of God reminds us, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. How many Christians in this room find it difficult to separate from the counsel of the ungodly? Oh, they've been my friends since childhood, you say. It doesn't mean that you can be rude to them, but it may mean that the Spirit of God is challenging your heart. That some friendships need to be taken with great care. The Shunammite woman relies on the advice of a godly man and survives seven years of famine. The famine specifically that was promised of God in Deuteronomy chapter 11 when the children of Israel disobeyed the Lord, he promised to send a famine into the land. Others are being judged. She is surviving the judgment of God. The Shunammite woman, her household, and her son are safe in the place of God's appointing. Why? Because of the influence of a man of God, an Elisha, who was in her life. Is there an Elisha in your life? Are there those believers whose 
challenge and testimony and counsel to you is precious to the point of helping you to survive along the pilgrim pathway that God has appointed for you? Are you willing to listen to that counsel even when it requires sacrifice and separation? We've seen in this passage that the advice of the godly brings protection. I want you to notice also that the activities of the godly bring instruction. I read in verse 4, the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. And the king was saying, tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha had done. It came to pass, as he was telling the king, how he'd restored a dead body to life, that behold, look at this. What do you know? The woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, my lord, O king, this is my way of translating this. You're not going to believe this, king, but this is the woman. And there's her son, the very one that Elisha restored to life. Now there's a question that ought to be popping off the page right now in your mind if you've been following along in the story of Elisha. And the question is this, wait a minute. Back in chapter 5, Gehazi became a leper. Remember? Remember how he followed after Naaman of Syria when Syria had been healed while dipping himself in the water of the Jordan River and Gehazi wanted some remuneration for his services? And God cursed him with leprosy and now we ask, I'm in chapter 8, that follows chapter 5, what's Gehazi doing in this story? There are a number of different ways to answer that quandary. One, some would say, well, the chronology of this story is not necessarily true to what happened in the time of Elisha. We don't know that. Some would say, no, no, no. It's more like Miriam, the sister of Moses, who was struck with leprosy and then healed from her leprosy after the judgment of God was passed upon her. Maybe. Still others would say, no, that's not what happened. Remember, Naaman, the captain of the host of Syria, was able to travel and speak with Elisha traveling all the way down to, Eli to Israel, he wasn't quarantined. In fact, Ryrie in his study notes actually says perhaps Gehazi had some form of leprosy that didn't require a person to be quarantined. I have no idea how it is that Gehazi is on this page, but I know this, Gehazi is on this page. And I know that somehow he's in communication with the king of Israel. In that communication of the, with the king of Israel, I see the providential hand of God in a wonderful way being displayed. I discover in this passage that the activities of the godly ones provoke inquiry. Remember, Elisha isn't here. But Elisha's testimony is here. Elisha was not a wealthy man. He was not a man of war. He was not a man of weapons. Elisha didn't hold any political office. But the wealthiest and the mightiest people in his community were interested in his life. The king wanted to know about Elisha. Why? Because Elisha was a light. And God has sent every one of us into the community in which we're living to be lights, to cause people round about to make inquiry. Philippians chapter 2 specifically challenges every one of us to be holding forth the word of life. The Lord said in Matthew chapter 5 to let our light so shine before men. Those who study communication tell us that 7% of communication is verbal. But 38% of communication is tonal. By the tone that we take and what we communicate, we often communicate more clearly than the words that we choose with which to communicate. 
And then 55% of our communication is actually non-verbal. In other words, when you're out and about in the community, your countenance is demonstrated and it communicates. Let your light so shine. Activities of the godly are intended to provoke inquiry for people to ask, why is that guy on the block so much different from others on the block? Why does that gal at work respond in a different way than that gal at work? The activities of the godly, you see, provide opportunities. And so we see because Elisha was faithfully serving the Lord, other believers, like the good woman of Shunem, like Gehazi, are given opportunities to discuss spiritual things with those who are inquiring. Do you realize that our local church and every local church is designed of God to be a community that produces a synergy, a community that produces a synergy within a greater community so that people are asking the question, why are those people at Colonial Hills Baptist Church so weird? They might not ask it that way. I trust they won't. God wants that synergy to be communicated so opportunities can abound. You ever wonder, is my life actually making an impact? Elisha had no knowledge of the conversation that was going on in the palace there in Samaria. Elisha had no knowledge that Gehazi was talking to the king, nor did he know that the woman of Shunem had just gone in to ask for her land back. But Elisha's life had caused a synergy that allowed an opportunity. Oh, pray that your life would be such a life. That your light would shine so brightly that people in the community would be able to say there's something different about that family because they're serving the Lord. In fact, as I look at this passage, I not only see that the advice of the godly makes an impact and the activities of the godly make an impact, but even the after effect of the godly brings a provision that only God can bring. Elisha is not physically present in these first six verses. The woman of Shunem is there. The king of Samaria is there. Gehazi is there. But the effects of Elisha's life and ministry are evident. How so? Did you notice the boldness of the Shunammite woman? In verse 3, it came to pass after seven years that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines. She went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. She's very bold. How did she come to be so bold? She's been seven years away from her property. In those seven years, others have come and claimed squatters' rights on her property. It may even be <clears throat> that those others <clears throat> who were on that property were actually there because the king had sent them there to claim the property under royal decree. You remember that this king is none other than the son of Ahab and Jezebel. That Ahab and Jezebel were taking up land like the field and the vineyard of Naboth. It may be that she's asking the very man who's taken her land to give it back to her. She's coming in before the king and she's crying after the law of Israel. Leviticus chapter 25 says that when an Israelite is bequeathed land, that land stays in the family. These were tribal rights, if you will. And while they may sell that land for a period of time, it could never completely be sold. And when they went away, because it is the economy of Israel under the law of God, Leviticus 25 says it still belongs to her. 
Where did she learn this boldness to come to the king, one who could take her life? Back in 2 Kings chapter 4, remember what happened when her son died? A son that she never asked for. A son that went out into the field with her husband and had a heat stroke and died. She went running after, running after Elisha. Gehazi met her first. Gehazi asked the question, is it well with you? And she says to Gehazi, it is well. But then when she finds Elisha, she says, as my soul liveth and as the Lord liveth, I'm not going to let you go. You have to go, she says to the prophet, back to my home. My son has died. Elisha goes to her home and restores her son. I want to tell you something about the woman of Shunem. She knew that when she was crying after the will of God, God would hear. Now she's facing the abandonment of her property. She knows, according to Leviticus 25, it's in the will of God that that property be in her name. When she goes to the king, she's crying to the king in the will of God in a boldness that only God can give. Where did she learn that kind of boldness? She learned it from the man of God, from his influence. As I look in this passage, I see something else of the influence of the man of God. Verse 6 says, when the king asked the woman, she told him, so the king appointed unto her a certain officer, saying, restore all that was hers, all the fruits of the field since the day that she left, even the land, even until now. The king of Israel is acting justly. There's justice in this king. Jehoram, the son of Ahab, the son of Jezebel, is granting the woman of Shunem her desires. What caused the king of Israel, this ungodly Baal worshiper, to do right? There's only one answer. The influence of Elisha. This week, representatives of the American Association of Christian School are going to be gathering together in Washington, D.C., For over 40 years, the representatives of the American Association of Christian Schools has gathered in Washington, D.C. They've gathered there to meet with legislators, to talk to senators and congressmen. Sometimes they've had audiences with presidents. I have to think that such a carefully strategic, ongoing meeting has been making a difference in our country for all these years. There was a time when they gathered that the idea of School choice was just that. It was an idea. But now it's an idea that's come to have some legs to the idea. There are other such legislative decisions that have been made. Why? Because the influence of the godly has an after effect. And in this passage, the Lord was glorified. It's no coincidence that the woman of Shunem shows up right while Gehazi is being asked by the king to rehearse what Elisha has done? No, God is not in the business of coincidence. God is in the business of providence. A.W. Tozer said, to the child of God, there's no such thing as an accident. He travels an appointed way. The path he treads was chosen for him when he was yet not known, when he as yet had existence only in the mind of God. Accidents may indeed appear to befall him, Misfortunes stalk his way, but these evils will be so in appearance only and will seem evil only because we cannot read the secret script of God's hidden providence and so we cannot discover the ends at which he aims. 
When true faith enters, chance and mischance go out for good. They have no jurisdiction over them that are born of the Spirit. The man of true faith may live in the absolute assurance that his steps are ordered by the Lord. Remember when we first met the Shunammite woman? She opened her home. She simply saw the hand of God on the life of Elisha, and she opened her home. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 says, When you cast your bread upon the waters, it will return to you after many days. Jesus promised, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. The woman of Shunem invited Elisha into her home, not that she would get something. But when she invited Elisha into her home, she wanted to give something to the man of God. And what did she get? The counsel of the Lord, a son that would have never before been imagined, the resurrection of that son, the counsel to go for seven years for the protection of her household, the opportunity to come back and stand before the king, not that she ever wanted her name to be known by the king, but it was so that her land could be restored to her. She did not give to get, but she sure did get when she gave. God's caring for his own. If you ever feel like you're accomplishing very little, there's an immeasurable that you need to consider. The immeasurable is the immeasurable of your influence. If you sometimes feel like I've accomplished very little, don't forget that the advice of the godly brings protection. And the activities of the godly bring instruction. And even the after effects of the godly can bring God's provision. If thou but suffer God to guide thee, and hope in him through all thy ways, he'll give thee strength whate'er betide thee, and bear thee through the evil days. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Thank you.